and uh, just every, every song about the cross and about Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And it's just awesome to be reminded that there is nobody else. It's all about Jesus. And uh, if you came looking for a place that, hey, I'm looking for some folks who are uh, a little different, uh, and in Jesus is that difference, then you are in the right place. Uh, so we're excited to be here today. Take your Bible, Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter number 5 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you are turning there, uh, let me just uh, call out a couple people in the room uh, today. And there may be more, but just the few that I saw. It's good to see Ashley Birnat here today. And uh, this is Brother Jesse, prayed just a minute ago. And uh, Miss Beverly, this is their daughter. And uh, she's got her daughter with them. And uh, Josh and Ashley are on staff at a church in New York, in Albany, New York. And uh, Pastor Rob Martinez, a great church there. So welcome home. Welcome home. Uh, previous home. But we're glad that you're here. And then uh, Samuel and Lauren are here. And they're getting married this coming Saturday. And so a week from now, they'll be married. And they will not be here next Sunday. Just so everybody knows, they will not be here next Sunday. So if you're going to congratulate them, do it today because they won't be here. And that, that's an inside joke. Several years ago, we had a family that uh, we married them on Saturday. And I got up to preach that next morning, and they were sitting right over here. And it was totally awkward for everybody sitting around them. Uh, but they won't be here next, next uh, Saturday so, or next Sunday. So they better be here next Saturday. Uh, but they, they won't be here next Sunday. I promise that. And uh, so we are excited about what the Lord has done and those who are here today. And uh, this couple sitting over here, Kevin and uh, Heather, got engaged last weekend. So good job, guys. Excited for you guys taking that next step. Uh, so it's awesome just to see the Lord at work. And so we are glad uh, to be a part of that. Mark chapter 5. If Jesus sent you out to minister, if he gave you marching orders and said, this is what I want you to do, what would you say? Would you respond favorably? Or would you say, hey, that, that's something I want to do. Uh, man, I want to do that. But then what if Jesus told you that people would not respond favorably? What if he gave you advance notice that this isn't going to end well? What if he even told you what to do in advance of it not ending well? Would you still be as excited to follow Jesus or still be as willing to obey him if you knew that it wasn't going to turn out well? You think about the disciples, they had no knowledge. I mean, as far as they were concerned, man, all that they saw, all of the things that Jesus did, how could anyone reject him? How could anyone not see the things that they had seen and still not follow Jesus? But Jesus is going to prepare them for that real potential. And it's the same potential that we have today in our world. And you probably work somewhere like this. People are religious, but they might not be as thrilled about Jesus as you may be. You work in a place where when you start talking about, hey, how was your weekend? And they talk about all the things that they went through and how uh, they had fun and partied up or whatever. And they say, how was your weekend? And you start talking about church and all of a sudden they don't want to talk anymore. Or they clam up or they find something else that they need to do at that particular moment when you're talking about what Jesus did over the weekend. It's different. But when we see in Mark chapter number 5 where we ended last week, we talked about this woman who was being helped all along the way, this woman with the issue of blood. And when we get to verse number 35, remember there was an interjection, a pause in the story. We talked about how sometimes God pauses your story seemingly to help somebody else. 
And it's easy for us to say, what gives, Lord? I mean, I'm still here. And Jairus is still over here in the background watching everything unfold. And while he is standing there, a servant comes up. A servant that he recognizes. It's one of his servants with news from back home. Let's look at Mark chapter number 5 and verse 35. And the Bible says, while he yet spake. This is talking about Jesus. as He's talking to this woman who he's healed with the issue of blood, both physically and spiritually. Verse 35, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Now let's stop. That was the end. As far as he was concerned, remember Jairus came to Jesus to avoid this happening. Hey, if you'll come and touch my daughter, she'll get well. She won't die. So this was the finality of why Jairus came in the first place. But look at the next statement. Why troublest thou the master any further? Hey, death, Jairus, is the end There is no hope for Jesus to do anything at this point. Jesus has limits. That's what the servant is saying. Hey, the end has come. There is nothing else he can do. Why bother? Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue. Now, Jesus could have rebuked the servant, could have rebuked those that came, but he looked at Jairus. It was Jairus' faith that was shaken. It was Jairus in the middle of this dilemma. And he looks at Jairus and says, Be not afraid, only believe. Now Jairus takes a step of faith. Look at verse 37. And he suffered, he allowed no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make you this ado? Why are you doing all this? And weep. The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Why are you doing this? Why are you making all this fuss? She's not dead. She's just asleep. And this morning I want to talk about this waste of time that takes place here. And why the master was troubled in the first place. Let's pray together and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for speaking to our hearts through the music and encouraging us. Lord, I ask that you please help us to see this morning through your word, through this passage of scripture, as you deal with Jairus and his family and the onlookers and the disciples. And then in chapter 6, you deal with the disciples and sending them out and people who didn't believe in you, even your own family. Lord, and how you lovingly, in compassion, minister to each group. And Lord, we thank you so much for those who readily and have already believed they know their faith is sure they have confidence in you that you are going to work on their behalf but lord there may be some like Jairus in this moment like this servant who said why troubles thou the master there's no other hope there's no other point there's there's nothing else that can be done lord there may be someone today this morning who's either in the room or watching online that their faith is being tested Their faith is shaken right now. And they need you to come through. Lord, please give them today what they need. And Lord, help them to see that coming to you is not a waste of time. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts. Please speak to my heart. And Lord, anything unconfessed, unforsaken in my life, please cleanse me and purify me as I preach your word. 
this morning to your people. And Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their Savior or watching online that doesn't know that you are the only hope for heaven, please show them their greatest need today and draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down, number one, that, that very thing, the waste of time. The waste of time. While the woman is being helped, this servant arrives. And we see, number one, the servant's assumption. The servant's assumption. And we, and we can spiritualize this. You know, Satan tries to convince us when we go through hardships and difficulties that God can't help. There's nothing else that can be done. There's no hope. There's no help. Uh, this is a hopeless situation. Nothing's ever going to get better. Your family's not going to improve. Your health situation's not going to change. All of these things are final. They're permanent. It's always going to be this way. And Satan tries his dead level best to convince us of that. That it's never going to improve, so why even bother asking Jesus for help? It's a waste of time. Death has come. It's too late for any intervention. The final chapter has been written. But in that moment, in that moment, don't miss this. In that moment, that's when Jesus spoke. In that very instant is when Jesus speaks to Jairus. Think about this. Jesus always speaks in our moments of desperation and despair. He always speaks in our moments of desperation and despair. Matthew chapter 14, verse 26 and 27. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway, immediately, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. In that moment of desperation and despair, when they thought it was a spirit walking to them on the water of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus speaks in that moment. He could have spoken to them way in advance, by the way. Hey, I see you guys, it's me. He didn't do that. When they were afraid, he spoke. How about David said in Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart. In those moments of despair, Jesus speaks. In those moments of desperation. Now remember, last week, that's where we parked last week, that when we think about desperation, how desperate are we to get to Jesus? Because that's when he speaks. Think about Elijah out running from Jezebel. And how he went out into the cave and there was the earthquake and there was the fire and the lightning and the storm and the wind and all those different things. It was that moment of desperation that God spoke to Elijah. It's that moment of desperation when God speaks to us. And see, the servant had no idea that bothering Jesus was not a bother to Jesus. He wanted to be involved. And when it comes to our faith... Here's the question. When it comes to our faith, if you don't believe that he will, you'll never be wrong. When it comes to our faith, if you don't believe that he will, you'll never be wrong. Jairus could have said, you know what? Servant, you're right. Let's just go home. Let's just go home and let's bury my daughter because Jesus can't do anything. You know what would have happened that day? A burial. A burial. Because faith is required 
for God to do something awesome. The servant's assumption. Number two, we see the mourner's attitude. He says, be not afraid, only believe. They go back to the house, and in verse 38, he comes to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and sees the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. Because of Jairus' position, his status at the synagogue, it's not unlikely that he would have had professional mourners. This was a cultural thing. They would hire professional mourners to come in. Oh, oh, this is our, oh, weeping and wailing. And they remember when Jesus talked about weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, what was going to take place in uh, hell one day, they were very familiar with that. That was a word picture Jesus is using because that was what took place in these professional mourners, weeping and wailing, all of these different things. But they were convinced just like the servant. Death is the end. There's nothing else that can be done. You see, real death is the separation of the soul from God. Not the body from the soul. Think about death. When that second death, Revelation chapter 20. uh, For the wages, Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. Yes, we know that's physical death, but it's also a greater death. It's the separation of the soul from God. What is it about hell that makes it so bad? It's eternal separation from God. It's the separation from God himself. No love, no mercy, no grace. None of that. It's separation from him. When we think about that, her body was asleep and Jesus is getting ready to bring it back to life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Yeah, I'm not afraid of taking a nap. I kind of look forward to him. The older I get, anybody? Uh, The older we get, it's like, man, naps sound wonderful. Those things that we hated as kids, you learn to love as a grown-up. Thankful for them. But think about, uh, you look forward to that. But because I'm in Christ, when we have that relationship with Jesus, when we go to sleep, I'm not afraid of going to eternal sleep. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Believers are not afraid of sleep. I know a lot of non-believers that are afraid of sleep because they're afraid that they won't wake up with Him. See, to sleep in Jesus is to wake up with Him. There's nothing fearful, afraid about that. That's a promotion. You know, it's not, hey, it's not, man, I'm just going to check out of here. Man, I change addresses. Everything is perfect at that point. But this mourner's attitude, the servant's assumption. And then number three, we see the Savior's ability. You know, I'd, I'd ask you this morning, do you have a fear of going to sleep at night? Do you have a fear of death? These people did not understand when Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. They laughed at him to scorn. Ah, yeah, right, whatever. You don't even understand what's going on. Laughed at him. He puts them all out. And then we see in verse 40, when he put them all out, he takes the father and mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered into the, where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway, immediately, she didn't just, you know, 
uh, eyes start popping. I mean, she didn't have to wipe like the crust out of her eyes. You know, we, we called those boogers when we were growing up. Uh, you know, eye boogers. But you didn't have to wipe all that crust out of her eye. Immediately she woke up. Immediately she arose. Wakes up. For she was at the age of 12 years. We talked about the comparison last, last week. The fact the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years. This little girl, 12 years. And they were astonished. Wow! If you were in the room, wow! It's amazing. With a great astonishment. This is noteworthy. Man, I can't wait to tell the boys what's just happened. And he charged them straightly. While they're still in that state, he says, don't tell anybody. Now, Jesus has just raised your child back to life. The first thing you want to do is tell somebody. The first thing you want to do is run downstairs to those mourners and go, na 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 I told you. He said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell them. And commanded that something should be given her to eat. And this is kind of that moment of, hey, it's not just she's in this coma. She's not in this state of, you know, she's here with us, but she's really not with us. Eating would prove that she's alive. But just like Jesus after he resurrected from the dead and he ate with them. He's alive. He's alive. We think about Jesus told him something in verse 36 that bears repeating. You know, think about all that could have happened. It all came back to Jairus' faith. He told him in verse 36, be not afraid, only believe. Think about it like this. Jesus told him in advance what he needed to know when tragedy struck. Jesus told him in advance. Hey, it would have been easy to get home and said, man, look at all the mourners. It's happened. It would have been easy to go and see his wife. Yep. See the baby, see the, his daughter laying there in the bed, sheet covering the face. Yes, she's gone. Nothing I can do. And Jesus had said, be not afraid, only believe. Only believe. Let me ask you this morning. What has Jesus told you in the daylight that you need to hear in the dark? What has Jesus told you in the daylight that you need to hear in the dark? What has Jesus shared with you? You say, man, I don't even know. That doesn't even really make sense right now. And it comes back when tragedy strikes. Comes back when trials come. Comes back when the hardship comes around. When everything seems dark, hey, don't forget in the dark what he's shown you in the light. He has spoken to Jairus exactly what he needs. When Jairus gets back home, man, if you side with that lunatic, you're just as bad as he is. That guy who says, your daughter is just asleep. You're just as crazy as he is, Jairus. But Jesus raises her from the dead. See, faith was the only thing in this moment that Jesus required, and it was exactly what he needed. I love that Hebrews chapter 11 makes it so simple. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. We have to have faith. We have to trust that he can and will work. See, we live in a world that thinks that Jesus asked for so much to follow him. Jesus makes it real simple. Just trust me. Just trust me. It's that Simple. 
Disciples, do you trust him enough to leave the boats in the water and to leave the tax collector stand and to leave your family stuff behind, to leave what you're familiar with, to what you know about the world culture and religion, to forsake all to follow Jesus? Are you willing to do that? See, he's the only one that can say arise to your dying life, to your discouraging future, to your defeated plans. He's the only one that can do that. He's the only one who is worthy of our trust and confidence. Be not afraid, only believe. It was a major step for Jairus. But he was sure glad in the upper room that he took that step. You might not think that your little bitty step is of significance. But when Jesus comes through and answers, you sure are glad you took the step. Think about Psalm 28 verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusted in him and I am helped therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song will I praise him hey do you trust him today is your confidence in the Lord today we see the waste of time that's what they thought it was just a waste of time let's not bother Jesus it's no help he can't help us anymore but then number two we see the work that was trimmed in chapter number six it's almost like the page changes and Jesus doesn't go back to the sea because in chapter 4 and 5 he's gone back and forth and back and forth across the Sea of Galilee but now he actually travels inland. He goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. Back home. Welcome home. Even though he was heading there and people knew him there did not mean that he was going to get a warm reception. And we see his role in verse 1 and 2. And he went out from thence and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. They were shocked. Jesus was always intentional with his ministry. Travels with his disciples. Gets them to that place. Why? Why would Jesus travel with them? Why would Jesus wait until he got to the synagogue and taught on the Sabbath? Why is that significant? Because it showed a couple things. Number one, it showed that Jesus truly was a rabbi. He truly was a teacher. These men were traveling with him. It wasn't just a word of mouth thing. Yeah, Jesus is teaching some people. It's actually real. It showed them that, hey, Jesus is a teacher. The second thing it showed is that Jesus was a teacher, but he also connected to custom. He could have just barged in and taken over. He was God, by the way. He could have done anything he wanted to do, but what did he do? He waited until the Sabbath. Why? Because to do anything other than that would upset the system. He waited until the Sabbath to begin teaching publicly. He knew his hometown people. He knew his homies. He knew how they would respond. Aside from the fact that he was God, he knew how they would respond. He was from that place. And his role was not to offend, but rather to respect the culture of his countrymen. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, when he told the religious leaders, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill He said, I'm not trying to come and disrupt the entire system. I'm trying to show you what the law represents. Remember, Galatians tells us that the law was for our schooling. It was to show us that we had a need that we didn't realize with the law. We see Kevin DeYoung said, Jesus did not do it all. Jesus didn't meet every need. 
He left people waiting in line to be healed. He left one town to preach to another. He hid away to pray. He got tired. He never interacted with the vast majority of people on the planet. He spent 30 years in training and only three years in ministry. He did not try to do it all, and yet he did everything God asked him to do. He did everything God asked him to do. Well, pastor, you know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Stop trying to do it all. You don't have to do it all. You do not have to do everything to do exactly what God wants you to do. Well, I got to have my hands over here and I got to serve in the nursery. And then at 1030, I got to go to safe house. And and then I got to go lead my growth group. And then I got to have discipleship. And and then I got to come Wednesday night. Hey, you start looking a lot more like Martha than you do Mary. Start looking like that person who is that busy bee and never stops to sit at Jesus' feet. You don't have to do everything to do everything that God wants you to do. You think about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. What is our purpose for existence? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The purpose of our existence is to bring Him glory. So the simple question is, the way that I'm living right now, is that bringing Him glory? And if it's not, What do you need to do to fix it? John chapter 17 and verse 4, Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Can you say by the way you're living right now that you're going to finish what he's called you to do? Can you say that? Can you say right now, based on your schedule this upcoming week, are you going to finish what God is calling you to do based on what you're doing right now? We see Jesus' role, but then number two, we see his rebuke. In verse number two, the people were astonished. Wow! Saying, from whence hath this man these things? Hey, isn't that Jesus? Isn't that the kid that grew up here, the the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's son? Isn't that the kid that we, he built our table? Let me think about it. He built our cabinets and our house. Isn't that that same guy? How does he know all this stuff? And it wasn't a question, it was a rebuke. It wasn't a, hey, how is this possible? It's, this isn't possible. This is not, this is not that same kid. This is not him. They were astonished. It's the same word that's used in chapter 1, verse 22 of Mark. And they were astonished at his doctrine. Astonished, amazed. They were shocked that this boy they they had seen grown up could do all these different things. Surely he didn't learn this from the synagogue. Surely he didn't learn it from the teacher who taught him Hebrew and how to read the law. Surely he didn't know those things. They were perplexed. This is not possible. Verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. It's not just, we can't believe this. It's, we won't believe this. Big difference. Because if you say to someone who says, I can't believe that, they can be convinced otherwise. But someone who says, I won't believe it, they're indignant and they can't be convinced. That's where these people were. They were trying to justify his present comments. 
with his past credentials. Present comments, past credentials. We would say it like this today. Never judge a book by its what? Cover. Hey, don't look at somebody on the outside and say, I know what they're all about. Because many times we are shocked that we're wrong. Think about all they saw was a carpenter. They could not imagine a world where the carpenter would be the king. They couldn't imagine that. They could not imagine that he would be the son of God. They watched him grow up. They knew his family. They knew his mom. He would never be more than a carpenter. And maybe that's your story. Somebody looks at your life and says, you know what? I watched them grow up. They'll never amount to anything. They'll never be more than that kid that caused problems. They'll never be. There are some teachers in the room this morning that there are people in the room this morning. You had them in class and think, man, will they even survive high school? Uh, you know, think about there are people around us and we think there is no way that God will ever fill in the blank. And maybe that's something you've heard in your life. Now, I can never, and you convince yourself, I can never be because of what my mom told me. Because my parents told me I was an accident. Because my mom and dad said that I was worthless, that I was stupid, that I could never do anything. And you have convinced yourself of that practically, but now it's bleeding into your spiritual life as well. I could never serve because of, I could never lead because of, I could never be involved and do things for the Lord because of. And you have convinced yourself that you're nothing because of what someone has told you. Let me just remind you, somebody didn't just tell you your worth. He proved your worth when he came and died for you. That should be a pretty good evaluation of how much God thinks you're worth. He sent Jesus to die for you. I, I don't think that Jesus just likes you. I think Jesus proved that he loves you. No matter what anybody else says about you, we can go to a book that shows us exactly who God says that we are and how much we're worth in his sight. There will always be people in our lives who don't see our potential. And, and that will never change. But aren't you glad that God doesn't see us that way? Charles Stanley said, Your potential is the sum of all the possibilities God has for your life. Your potential. Well, pastor, I, I don't see any potential. Remember, God doesn't see us the way that we see us. God sees things that we don't see. And remember, God sees the future and we can't. I, I've been reading 1 Corinthians in my daily devotions and I read this morning where Paul said, I'm the least of all the apostles. And he said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. It would have been really easy for Paul to say, God can never use me because I killed a bunch of God's followers. Aren't you glad? Hey, half of the New Testament we have today because somebody didn't take the word of someone else for their evaluation. They leaned into what God said about them and said, you know what? God can use me in spite of my past. And God can use that past to help propel my future. And that's exactly the life of the Apostle Paul. See, the people were not offended that Jesus was a carpenter. They were offended at who he claimed to be. 
And the world could care less about your work, your title, your position. Hey, church, the world gets offended by who you claim to be. When you say, I'm a Christian, that doesn't sit well. Why? Because the word Christian means little Christ. And Jesus is the offending point to the world. When you identify with Jesus, there's a rub to the world. We see the role. We see, number two, the rebuke. Then number three, we see his restriction. Look at verse number four. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet's not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. And he could there do no mighty work. Because of their lack of faith, because of their position of who he was, he could not work among them. His own family didn't believe. They watched him grow up. They knew that he was different. They knew that he was perfect. It graded on them. And he was willing to work in their lives. But he could not because of their lack of faith. It's what he said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I am not to call the righteous, came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus can and will work in the life of someone who trusts in him. Someone who believes in him. But he is restricted to work. Through a lack of faith. Are you desperate? We talked about it last week. Are you desperate for him to work? Are you believing that he will work? You know, see, Jesus should be the engine of our lives. Not just our spare tire. We pull Jesus out when we need a break. Or we need him to come through. We, we get the, the bottle out. We rub that bottle. And say, alright, Genie Jesus, we need you to come out and help us now. That is not who Jesus is. He's supposed to be our engine, not the spare tire. I'm going to pull it out when I have a flat. When I get where, hey, I can't go anymore, that's when I'll need Jesus to come in and help. No, no, no. He should be the one driving this thing. He should be the one propelling us, not just in case of an emergency. Break this glass, and Jesus comes out. No, no, he should be the one behind the scenes. He should be the one who helps us. Day by day, I need thee every hour, not just when I need help. They could have seen more if they would have believed. And at the end of our lives, will our biggest regret be that we wish we would have had more faith in him? You know, I wish I would have seen God work and it was my lack of faith that caused him from working in my life. We see the waste of time. Hey, don't bother Jesus, it's too late. We see the work that was trimmed. Jesus did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. And then lastly, we see the warning of their task. The warning of their task. The time came. Jesus sends the twelve. He's going to send them out. He's going to send them out two by two. Send them out to ministry. But he's going to speak to them first and give them some advance warning. Here it is. Number one, he said, I'm going to send you guys. Here it is. Be excited. No resources. Doesn't that sound like a great way to start? He sends them out for encouragement, support. It also helps the confirmation in the eyes of men. All these different things. Two by two. Two by two. Hey, guys, it's not going to be single. This is just another great reminder. The Christian life is never meant to be lived solo. We need each other. Pastor, why is it such a big deal that I come to church? Why can't I watch online? Because you can't get this online. You can't sit next to somebody and hear somebody else sing online. You can't hear somebody else say amen online. There's lots of stuff that you can't get online. I'm thankful for online. 
when it's absolutely necessary. But it's not a replacement for this. Never has been and never will be. Yeah. Maybe think about this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. We need each other. He also gave them power to do the impossible. Cast out demons. Uh, passed out, gave them power over unclean spirits. Command them they should take nothing for their journey. Save a staff only. No script. That's a fancy word for a fanny pack. Uh, no fanny packs. None. No script. No bread. No money in their purse. But be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. Hey, we are going to pr- allow other people to provide for you. Hey, I want other people to support my work. And that's awesome. And that is exactly why we get involved in what God's doing. Because we get to support what God is doing. We get to be involved in His work. The word that He sends them out is the Greek word apostello, which is the word for apostle. So if you have been sent out, if you've been saved to be sent, you are an apostle. You're sent out for Him. Not only did they say no resources, number two, no reception. Can you hear me now? Verse 10. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Jesus didn't send them away with nothing. He said, Hey, I'm going to give you a warning, guys. Pay very close attention. Not everyone is going to be thrilled with your message. Yay! Not everybody's going to be thrilled at your workplace. He said, don't depend on what you can do. No bag, bread, money, shoes, coat. Rely on the good favor of others. And we see that in the ministry of Elijah, Elisha, Paul. All relied on other people. We do that today. But this sounds great until you realize that not everybody's going to be thrilled with what you're sharing. This is awesome. How many people are, think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, you're going to preach chapter 1. Read Jeremiah chapter 1 sometime. You're going to preach Jeremiah, and I'm going to give you the words to say, and nobody's going to listen. Thanks, Lord. Hey, Jeremiah, you tell them what I'm telling you. They're going to reject you. They're going to throw you in prison. They're not going to love you. They're going to hate you. Go minister. And Jeremiah could have said, no way, Jose. And at one point, he did. But he said, you know what? The moment that I said I can't anymore, God's word was in my bones. Hey, that burning fire shut up in my bones, and I couldn't keep it in any longer. That's the way it should be for believers, by the way. I'm not going to tell my coworker about Jesus, but you know what? I can't help sharing him. Why? Because there's something about that name. There's something about that name. Hey, I'm not going to say anything to that person at the gas pump, but... I can't help but tell what Jesus has done for me. Hey, I, I'm not going to tell my family member, yeah, I know Thanksgiving's coming, and I, that aunt or that uncle, because everybody has a crazy aunt or uncle, uh, I'm not going to tell them about Jesus, but you know what? I just can't help sharing what Jesus has done in my life and how the change that he's made and what he's done for our family. I can't help but share that. And that should be our take. Hey, it doesn't matter if they reject or not. That's, gonna stop, that's not going to stop me from sharing. I, but pastor, why do you get all worked up? It's not me. It's Jesus. And if Jesus has done a work in your heart and life, you can't help but get worked up every now and then either. 
No resources. Hey, no reception. When you get there and they say, I don't want to hear it, they reject you. Guys, just shake off the dust. That was a custom thing. Hey, shake off the dust. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Shake off the dust as an example that, hey, you've been warned. You've been warned. Y'all wonder if Jesus were to come to church this morning physically, in the spirit, in, in body, in person. If he would sit through a service and when he left, he'd have to shake off his feet. I wasn't welcome there. They didn't want me there. Hey, that should never be said. What if Jesus came to your house this week and spent a few days with you? I wonder if he'd have to shake off the dust off his feet when he left. Hey, I'm not welcome there. They don't want me there. No reception. And then lastly, no retreat. What a great pep talk. Guys, I'm not going to send you with anything. There's going to be people that hate you. And what do we see them do? Verse 12. And they went out. That is awesome. Hey, Jesus, can we go now? Hey, can, can we leave now? After hearing all the bad, after hearing all the ugly, they still wanted to go. No retreat. You can think these guys may have had second thoughts. They leave with no hesitation. And preach that men should repent. They cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. This is the call of a Christian, by the way, to follow wherever he leads, trusting that he will supply all along the way. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then said Jesus unto the disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, following Jesus is not him laying out his plan for your life and you signing off on it. That is not following Jesus. Following Jesus is a journey of taking one step at a time, not always knowing where he's leading, but trusting the one who is leading. Not always knowing. See, if you looked at your life today and the direction that you're going right now, could you say that you're following Jesus? Could you say that you are following him everywhere he is going? You want to know why people reject Jesus? Because it requires faith to go into the unknown. And we want to see everything, know every detail, be okay with his plan before we receive Jesus. Hey, Lord, if you'll tell me all the things that I'm going to face in this life, then I'll make a decision. It doesn't work that way. That doesn't require faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Uh, Jordan, come up here and help me real quick. I need a Marine this morning. It takes a Marine to wear a mask like this. I'm going to stay down here. All right, I'm going to walk a little bit, guys. Okay, so nice, cute mask. You should. All right, go ahead and put that on. All right, yeah. All right, this is, this is, all right, make sure y'all get your cameras out. You're ready to go, okay? Such a cute little unicorn, okay? All right, so I'm going to lead you. All right, you're going to get behind me. All right, right here, you have this hand, shoulder, this hand, shoulder. All right, now we're going to go to the back door. Okay? You ready? ready. You sure? Yep. Okay. All right. Starting with the right foot. Ready? Here we go. Step. 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 All right. We're still going. I'm not stopping until we get in the back. Okay? Now, it's easy 
as long as he's following me. Now think about this. Let's stop. When we get to this point, hey, if there were obstacles along the way, I'm the one who is moving him around the obstacles. But if he says, hey, I, can get, I know where I am now. I, I'm close enough. I can kind of sense my way. I'm going to get there on my own. He can step out. And he can go and try and find his own way, but he doesn't see the obstacles. I do. But if I'm the one leading him, we're taking a step right foot. If I'm the one leading the way, all he has to do is stay behind me. And I'm going to lead him around the obstacles. All right, we're turning around, going back down. All right. All he has to do is stay behind me. Here's the thing about following the Lord. Is the Lord sees and experiences the obstacles before I get there. And as long as I follow him, nothing affects me that he hasn't signed off on. He's already been there. He's already experienced it. We're, we're back at the bottom. You can stop. All right. You're done. Thanks, sir. Great mask, by the way. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. All right. Hey, church, following Jesus is really not that difficult. But we make it difficult. I want to see it. I want to know what's coming. I want to know what's in advance. That's not following Jesus. That's a fairy tale. And that's you leading your own life, not Jesus leading your life. You will never follow the Lord if you have to see every single detail unfold. It won't happen. It's a walk of faith. Hey, I might not know what we're going to face, but I trust the one who is leading me. There's no hesitation in Jordan while we're walking. Hey, it's fine. I'm just following the leader. Hey, that's what Paul said, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. We're following the leader. We're following him. It's not a following of a person. It's a following of the person. But this morning, hey, self-examination time. Are you following the leader? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. If he's leading you to it, he'll lead you through it. But are you following him this morning? Has there been a time in your life personally where you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Do you know that you're going to spend eternity with him? You know, that starts with a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know that you've been forgiven. You don't know that Jesus is your Savior. Maybe you've not ever made that decision for yourself. Hey, today is your day. Could I challenge you and encourage you to make that decision today? Don't worry about any of the other steps. Take the first one. Take that very first step of surrender to Jesus. Say, Pastor, what does that look like? In the Bible, it tells us in Romans chapter 3 that we've all sinned. We all have a problem. And we cannot correct our sin problem. It's not possible. But that's why Jesus came and died on the cross for our sin. He died as our substitute. He paid our penalty for us that we deserve to pay. And when he died on the cross, he died as my substitute for sin. But I don't get that substitute and that payment automatically. There has to be something on my part. It's not work on my part. It's faith on my part. It's trusting and believing that what he did, he did for me. And it's asking him to apply what he did on the cross to my life. That is all that's required on my part, is simple faith. It's following, saying, hey, you know what? Before I follow him step by step, I've got to be willing to say I'm going to follow him.
That's what salvation is. Are you willing to follow Jesus? If you've never made that decision, hey, today is your day. Make that decision today. You may say, well, pastor, I wouldn't even know what to say. I don't even know what to do. It's simply talking to him and asking him to do what he has already promised he would do. That's admitting your need, telling him that you're a sinner. You know that. You understand that. We're all sinners. From the preacher down, we're all sinners. But we all need a Savior. And Jesus died to be that Savior. It's admitting your need to Him. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. You can pray a very simplistic prayer of knowing, telling Him. Not telling me, telling Him. You know you're a sinner. And you know that you need Him to be your Savior. Thanking Him for dying on the cross for your sin. And asking Him to become your Savior. That's what salvation is. Simple as that. But have you done that? And if you've not done that, I would, you don't have to come up here and talk to me. You don't have to. If you want to, that's fine. But right there in your seat, would you, if you've not already done so, would you receive Jesus as your personal Savior? Call out to Him. As simple as that is. I'm not going to tell you what to say. Tell Him what you want. Just talk to Him. When you think about our life today, it's a step of faith. And then the second thing, if you've already made that step, are you actively following Jesus? Are you day by day following Him? And that looks different for a lot of people. But would you take that step? Our personal workers are all around the room and would love to take the Bible and encourage you, show you what you can do. And if you make a decision this morning, there's a card right there in front of you and the seat back in front of you. And you can fill that out. Someone will reach out and contact you and thank you and, and help you take those next steps and show you what you need to do. Whatever God wants you to do this morning, would you simply follow Him? Father, please bless our time of invitation. Lord, while the team is singing, we're not going to have anybody stand up this morning. Not going to have anybody do anything other than just sing from their seat. But this is a time of genuine reflection. And if they want to speak to someone, maybe we'll have our personal worker stand in the back this morning and they can slip out and go talk to someone in the back. But Lord, help us to make decisions this morning. Your word is shared with us so that we can respond to it. Lord, I ask that you please help us this morning to respond to your word today. Help us to reflect on your word and how it applies to us. And Help us to examine our own hearts and lives and see what change you would desire for us to make. Please work in our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Our personal workers are going to slide to the back and